Uh, we're in First uh, Peter this morning. I, I would invite you to open your copy of God's Word to First Peter chapter three. Um, I mean, chapter one, verse three through twelve is what we're going to uh, be be doing. Um, before before I say anything else, uh, if you'll allow me, I'm just going to read this scripture uh, three through twelve. Um, it, you just sat down. Uh, I'm going to ask you ahead and stand back up. Uh, I got to stand up. You can too. So. If you can't stand up, I'm just kidding. You, you can stay seated if you can't stand. Uh, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded <clears throat> through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Before you sit down, I'm going to lead us in another prayer. And I want to make a suggestion to you. I want you to pray for three people here that you usually don't pray for. So if it's your family, you pray for them a lot. If you don't know anybody, uh, just you can make some other general prayer. Or pray about somebody sitting in front of you or behind you or beside you. But as I pray, would you pray for others and pray for, throw one up there for me too, that God would uh, speak through me and that all of us can hear. Let's pray together for all those things. Father, in Jesus' name, we, we bow before your throne, Lord. We need you desperately. Uh, Lord, I can attest, Satan don't want us to hear what you have to tell us. So I, I pray, God, that you help me to say what you are saying clearly and correctly, that, uh, Lord, uh, we would comprehend uh, this abundant uh, grace of God in our lives and what you, uh, what you do for us. And, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for, for your grace, for your mercy, for your kindness, for your enabling. Lord, we know that, uh, that, that uh, we have sin to confess. Lord, sometimes we have sin we don't even know about. So we ask you to show us our sin that we might confess it and, and, and turn from it. Be right with you, Lord. That is our, our desire, to know you, uh, to be known by you, and Lord, to live for you here in this world. We want to know you and we want to make you known to others. And so, Lord, we pray for your help because we are incapable of all these things. And, uh, Lord, we ask you to bind our enemy. We ask you to rebuke Satan for us and any, uh, any uh, minions of his here. Uh, Lord, we pray that they would be bound by the, by the name, the blood of Jesus Christ, that we can have freedom uh, to hear. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit, sit down now. Um, if this is your first Sunday ever here or you weren't here last week, I've begun a series of going through the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a, 
a rich, rich book. I think it's overlooked a lot, and I'm not sure why. I know I have uh, been guilty of that as well, overlooking it. But as I study this uh, more and more, uh, wow, there's a lot, a lot here. And so um, the, the whole series, we're calling it Identity. In a world of, of imposters, who are we? Could you put that graphic back up? I, I don't think it comes out as well, but the, the first guy, second guy from the left there is, is a different color than the rest. It's kind of subtle, but, uh, but we, we are in the midst of people and we're supposed to look a little different than them, Right. I was supposed to look a lot different, actually. And, and so, 1 Peter is all about that. And today, I'm talking about our identity in the family. Uh, wh- what does it mean uh, to be in the family of God? And these verses uh, are good to, to show us that. I, I've always loved family. I just talked about kids here a minute ago. I, I, I had the privilege of growing up around much of my mother's uh, side of, of my family. Uh, and then I was able to visit my dad's family uh, at least yearly on a very regular basis. And I got a lot of stories about my family. Uh, just hang around me much, much at all. I'll start telling you tales about all that. Uh, about where they came from. Uh, all the good, the bad. And the funny. Uh, there's the ugly too, but I don't like to talk about that part. Um, but you know what? We, we were always there for each other. And we still are. Even though we've been separated by time and distance, I, I, I know that they, there are relatives of mine. All they got to know is it's me or they could call me and know it's them. And they would, they would come flying uh, to my aid if, if I needed that. Well, last week we, we learned that, that we have been entered into a spiritual family and even a little bit about what that means. That we, we learned how God got us there. But today we want to learn about some benefits from being in the family of God. And, and, and I, I, I kind of push against our modern culture of Christianity. It's kind of a, we have a pop culture of Christianity today. It's, you know, what can God do for me? You know, uh, that God can bless me and God can do this for me and do that for me. And, and I, I don't say that that's untrue because it is true. God has promised to do a lot of things for us. And we are grateful for that. But we are called, Jesus called us to a cross. So if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross. And a cross is a cross of death. And so our following Christ, we die to ourselves, but we live into Christ. And so the benefits that God gives us sometimes... You might, in this passage, he said, it may not look like benefits, but he's going to explain why those things are benefits. So I want you to take this home with you today. Being the elect, in the first verse, he calls us the elect exiles. We are exiled in this world. And so being the elect comes with a benefit of family. Being an elect of God puts us in a family. And before I look at the first point of scripture here, let me just say a word about family a little bit more word. Um, you say, well, does that mean the Calvary family? Calvary Baptist Church? Yes, absolutely. Does it mean Calvary Assembly of God down the road from us? Well, yeah, absolutely. Does, does it mean the Lutheran Church or the Methodist Church? or the? Yeah, because in those churches, there are true believers in Christ. Not everybody in those churches. But here's the secret in case you didn't know it. Not everybody in... This church is in the family of God, right? Because denominational labels, they fall off when you get to heaven and they burn off if you go to hell. Because that's not what it's about. What it's about is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That puts us in a spiritual family of all true believers, no matter the strife. And, and I'll tell you, I, I have had some um, 
strong discussions, I don't want to call it an argument, with people from other denominations about distinctives of our denomination or their denomination, and we'll talk about that, but not out of anger, not out of hatred. And in fact, we, we really love each other and find out we got a whole lot more in common than we do that separates us. And, and we're coming to a day in this country, it's already in most countries, where denomination doesn't matter so much because we're all trying to survive together. And I would say in today's world, that's very, very true. And First Peter in these pa- this passage, there's a lot of good in there. But he's, he's kind of telling us, guys, you're suffering together and you need the family to do that. So, and, and, and it's broken down almost in, in well, the, by the way, in case you don't know, the chapter numbers and the verse numbers, a man made that up. Those did not come down from God, okay? In fact, the language of both languages the Bible was written in, back then they didn't even put a gap between the words. So you had to really know that language, figure out what was being said there, okay? And, uh, and, and thank God we can do that. So some guy said, hey, let's make it easier to find it. Let's put numbers on it so we can kind of get to the point where we want to get to. So when you read the Bible, kind of just read through the number like it's not there. It'll, it'll help you a little bit. So, but, but we can break this down in verses 3 through 5 and then 6 through 9 and then 10 through 12. So it, it kind of has a, a good little rhythm going there. And in that first little uh, section... I want you to understand that our identity in the family brings us two things. It brings us hope and it brings us an inheritance. I've already read it, but if you look there in in your scripture, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we're preaching through the prayers on Jesus just before this, remember what we learned that Jesus, when the disciples asked him to teach them to pray, the first thing he taught them was that his father was our father. You with me? Are you with me? Yes. Now, on earth, there are families where there are step-siblings. You know, the dad, for whatever reason, you you know, wife passed away or divorced or something. So he has some children with that one and that one. But all those children call him daddy, right? Because they're all his. Well, God, we... (laughs) We might think of denominations that way, maybe, since I've already used that. Uh, we, we may have some different moms, but we got the same father, right? And I mean that metaphorically. Don't take that too literally, <laughs> even though I do want to take it literally. Um, and, and so our identity brings, and in this passage, he goes on to say that he, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, In case you never heard this definition, the Bible word for hope uh, is different than what we think of in in common, uh, our culture. Because if somebody, we ask somebody something, they go, well, I hope so. And what that means is, well, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I really hope it does. But I'm desiring it happens, but I have no assurance that it ever will. But the Bible word for hope is not like that at all. The Bible word for hope says we know what's going to happen and we can't wait till it does because living here... It's not easy. And so I have a living hope. I have a confident expectation that what God said is going to happen. But it just hasn't happened yet. Remember in, in, in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the uh, substance, uh, the evidence of things hoped for, right? So we hope the evidence is God's promise of things we hope he will do. We have a common expectation he will do. Right, and, and, and so we pray to him and we expect him to happen. And so we are born into a family. We not only have this 
living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's unperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. It's kept in heaven to you. But we have this, it says, by God's power, we've been guarded by faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. God has brought this living hope into us. And, uh, and, and we'll also see that we have an inheritance. He says it right here in the passage that the resurrection of Christ, uh, it is something that, that sometimes we forget to preach about. We forget to mention. We talk about Jesus' death on the cross. Sorry, I'm extra dry today. I don't know why. <clears throat> um, we talk about Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sins. And absolutely, that is what paid for our sin. That he died in our place on a cross, right? That his blood is the blood we should have spilled, but our blood wouldn't have been good because our blood was tainted by sin. His was not. He was perfect. He passed all the tests as a human. And then he went in my place, in your place, to a cross and died there for us. And so he died and was buried. But every religious leader of history died. But Jesus is unique. He got up. He rose up from the dead. His tomb is empty. Been empty since three days after he died. He's out of there. He's gone. He's ascended to heaven. And I like to say it really southern. He's fixing to come back. That is our, that is our gospel. That is our hope. And we can't forget the resurrection. Because if he hadn't risen from the dead, he made a new will. When you make a will, what's it called? Your last will and testament. We got an Old Testament and a New Testament. God's covenants with us. And the Old Testament was looking toward the New Covenant. But we, he waited to the New Testament to reveal it. That's going to be a point in just a minute. But we, so it had to have a lawyer to enforce the covenant that Jesus had made with God the Father that I'll go and die for them and then my death will apply to them. And the Bible says he rose from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. And Paul tells us in Timothy, he is our lawyer. He's our advocate with the Father. He's the one that enforces the covenant he made. He's the lawyer that does that for us. The word advocate means lawyer, right? And so that is our gospel, that Jesus died and, was, and rose again, he ascended to heaven, and he is our lawyer. We're born into this family. We know that because we have an inheritance. He told the disciples, I no longer call you friends, I call you brothers. We, 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 are, we are, the Bible says, brothers of Christ and joint heirs with him. Now, we're not just like Christ. He is God who put on flesh. We are flesh that God has given uh, his spirit to live in us so that, so that we have the power to do what we ought to do. But we have an inheritance. And notice about that inheritance. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. And he's holding it in heaven for us. Amen. Now, what is he referring to? He's referring to our salvation. Me saying that may have risen, caused this question to rise in your mind. Well, I thought I was already saved. What do you mean I got to get to heaven to see his salvation? Because we use the same word for three things. And that is, there was a time in history, way back here, don't know when it was for you. I know when it was for me. I don't remember the exact date, but it was in June of 1968. I said yes to Jesus. And in that moment, I realized he had saved me. 
Every day since then, he's got to keep saving me. (laughs) Because we run out of gas real quick, don't we? And so I need to have a relationship with him through his word, through the Holy Spirit, in prayer with other believers, because we encourage one another to stay close to God. But there's coming a day when this body's going to give out. It's just going to wear out. Sometimes churches pray more to keep people out of heaven than we do to keep them out of hell. We ought to be praying for people to be saved, right? And sometimes somebody gets sick, oh Lord, save them. I've heard of people that were about to die, Christians, that quit praying that, man, I'm ready to go. Quit trying to hold me here. It's good, it's time. Because we can't live here forever. And when that happens, not only was I saved, not only am I being saved, but man, I get that inheritance. I am fully saved. Finally saved. Because this body, which was a sinful body, and he put a new spirit inside of me, this body can't inherit heaven because it's not fit for it. So we bury it, and it dies and rots away. But there's coming a day when Jesus does come back. I told you he's fixing to. If you don't know Southern, that means not very long, okay? It means about to happen. And when he does, he's going to raise the dead from the dead. Now, for generations, people wonder, well, how's he going to do that? What if some guy fell off a boat and got eaten by a shark and then he wound up as, you know, remains on the bottom of the ocean? Then we learned about DNA. <laughs> God can not only recreate your DNA, he can fix it so your body is better. We can't do that, but he can. And so we understand we will be raised from the dead and that soul that is in heaven, that body that he, re- that he makes brand new, come back together. And thus we are ever with the Lord. Amen? Now that's, good. that's good theology. It's not all right there in the scripture. But when he says we have an inheritance that's imperishable. It's undefiled. It is unfading. That's why he's keeping it in heaven. That's why it's for there. Because here things are quickly defiled. And, but I want you to catch verse 5. And this is extremely important. Because it is a note we've lost in modern times. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice the, the wording. By God's power, that salvation is being guarded. What does that mean? Here's what it means. He says it's being guarded through faith. Do you understand that you can't have faith apart from the power of God? Do you understand you, obviously we say, yeah, we can't have grace, but I want to exercise my faith. Well, your faith will get you in hell. God had to give you faith. You said, where is that? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest one of us would boast before God. Well, I earned it. No, you didn't. God gave you the faith to believe in him. Did you know God's got to give you worship to worship him? God's got to give you prayer to pray to him. Everything you have and are and exercise in this life is a gift from God. And so God guards us so that we can express our faith to him. If he didn't guard our salvation, our faith would fail us. Our faith would fail. But his faith in him never does. And so God's power guards our faith so that we can continually express it. Because the salvation is coming in the end. You ever have a day when you wonder, is God real? 
I, I want you to raise your hand. Anybody in here ever wonder, is God real? Well, thank you. There's a few honest people in here. I think everybody probably should have raised their hand. Say, well, you're a preacher. You're not supposed to doubt God. Really? Being a preacher don't make me less human, guys. And there are days when I don't doubt God, but I just wonder why I'm still here. Like, man, I, I just don't know if I can take this anymore. He's going to talk about that. Peter's going to tell us about that. And so he has to give us the faith to stay faithful to him and guard that faith that is expressed in him because he is our hope. And he protects our salvation. In the next section, we see that our identity in this family brings us joy because of our trials. That sounds weird, doesn't it? I had to write it that way just to make it clear in my head. We don't have joy in our trials. We have joy, well, we do, but we have joy because of our trials. Why? Well, look at, the, look at the passage this. He says, so in this rejoice that you don't have it yet, that you're still suffering. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. He said, rejoice in this guarded hope that you have, this guarded salvation, this faith that, that you believe in, even if you're experiencing trials. Because, he goes on to say, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, perishes though it is, uh, it is tested by fire, may be found and result to praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know how much pure gold you've ever seen. I've seen it somewhere. I don't have any, but I've seen it. And, and you understand how they purify gold. They find that ore and they stick it in a pot called a crucible. And they light a fire under it until it melts. And then every impurity rises to the top and they skim it off. And then fire it up again. Melt it again. Do it over and over and over until the gold is purified. Well, some of it perishes. And this, he says, your faith is better than that. And the crucible, the fire that we are in are our trials and what God is doing is getting rid of the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus and so our trial indicates that God cares enough about you to make you look like gold you may not quit all the way there here in fact I'm pretty sure you won't but boy when you get up there it's done right and so we are tested by fire and what our testing ought to result in is notice it there in verse 7 To result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back, when when all the saved of all time are raised up, he'll say, look at what I did. I saved all of them. All of those are saved and made like me because of what I did. And we praise him and glorify him. And he gets praise and glory because of what he did in our life. And notice something else. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The fact that we are with him when he comes back. When he comes and we see him and we're with him. We become the testimony of our salvation. Because we are with him. And so our trials should cause us to go, wow, this is cool. God's helping me to look more like Jesus. And the result is praise and glory to him. Now, that's backward to your thinking. It's backward to my thinking. I thought trials was suffering and I ought to moan and complain and gripe about that. Nope. (laughs) 11th commandment, thou shalt not bellyache. 
right? You know, I like, I like the one that just says, quit your belly aching, you know? We, in our trials, it ought to cause us to go, God is doing something in my life. Now, sometimes people suffer and have trials because of their own actions. I get that. And some people go through some strong trials and others through not so strong trials. But in all of our trials, we need each other to survive, don't we? We need the fellowship of fellow saints. And that's, that's why when in church we're afraid to tell people what we're going through because we're afraid they will judge us. Number one, the devil puts that in our head. Number two, anybody that would do that to you doesn't know Jesus. If you're in here and you criticize lost people, you don't know Jesus because you don't know yourself because you are just as bad or worse than the person you're criticizing. It takes the same amount of grace to save you as it does them. Because we were all born sinners. We were all in need. There's no person better than another. We all needed Christ. And when we're going through trial, the thing we absolutely need to do, we depend on the grace of God and the power of God. But guys, we're humans. We're not God. We will, we will experience trials. We will experience suffering. And even Psalm, the Bible says, God knows our frame that we're just dust. He gets that. And he says we should have fellowship. The word for fellowship in the, in the Greek Bible is an intimate relationship with each other. And, and meaning that you share life with each other. That, that, that you share your joys. You share your sorrows. You share whatever someone needs. You try to help provide that. And, and the church is supposed to be a family that shares. When, when Janice married me. Number one, I lived in a parsonage. So all the walls were beige. It, 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 some of our young people don't know about pastors and parsonages because uh, mostly people buy their houses now. But there was a day that was part of your pack, pay package. That's the most expensive house you'll ever buy because you got nothing out of it. But you still have to pay tax on it to the IRS, <laughs> except a place to live. But it was always paid in beige because you know everything goes with beige, right? <laughs> so all the walls were beige. But Janice came in, and I had this couch, and the arms of it were just huge. I don't know what you call this style. And it used to belong to my aunt, and she'd had it re-upholstered probably in the early 70s. So it had orange and green and all that. But over here was, you know, this chair that was, I don't even remember what color it was. She's like, where did you get all this? My relatives. <laughs> oh, you're going to be moving a person. You need some furniture? I got an old couch you can have. <laughs> Everything in my house was old stuff from my family, right? But guess what? It was my family. They were making sure I didn't have to spend money to get something. Didn't look real good, but that's okay. You could sit on it. <laughs> you could watch TV on it if you wanted to. Well, in a family, we may not give you something modern and really good looking, but we'll give you the best we got to give you, right? That's how it's supposed to work. And so I hope that you understand that when you're salvation is revealed in heaven what did Jesus say I'm going to fix a place up for you and when I finish fixing I'll come get you that by the way that's not really a mansion we the King James translated as a mansion it means a dwelling place so I don't know if the word meant something different in 1611 but but it's like an apartment it's a it's a house it's some dwelling but I know it's better than anything here so I don't care <laughs> right I, I won't care what it looks like when I get there but number three, I want you to understand in 10 through 12 that our identity in the family brings an assurance of salvation. 
We, we understand we, we bring joy of our trials, but now we get an assurance. Because notice, it starts with verse 10, concerning this salvation. And he points to the Old Testament prophets. There are people that believe that the Old Testament prophets didn't see the church. And that is crazy. Because Ezekiel talks about God taking out our stony heart and putting a heart of flesh. And he said that to Abraham, the promise to Abraham was not just for the Jews. It was for all the nations. You'll bless all the nations. You'll have descendants in all the nations. And then in the New Testament, which explains all this, Paul writes about it in Galatians and Ephesians about about, um, Jacob having 12 sons and Isaac having two sons. And God picked Jacob and not Esau, and through Jacob, all these children came, the 12 tribes of Israel, and that God was doing something so that Jesus would come, and then out of all men, whether you were Jewish or Gentile, and all Gentile means is not a Jew, so Jews and others could all become one people in Christ. And so he says the Old Testament prophets prophesied about the grace was to be yours they knew somebody was coming one day that was going to get the grace of God and they didn't have to kill lambs and, and sheep and oxen and doves and grain offerings and all this system. He's going to get rid of that system and God's just going to give you an undeserved gift, a grace. And so they looked into it carefully. They wanted to know what person is this person coming through? Who is the Messiah? What time will it be born? Because the Spirit of Christ had told them it was coming. That's in verse 11. And when he predicted this, and when the Holy Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. That's found in Isaiah chapter 53. And verse 12, catch this. Peter wants you to be super excited about being saved. Because Peter was a Jew, right? Right? Jesus didn't have any Gentile apostles. They were all Jewish. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In what they had, what, in the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel, the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And this salvation, angels long to look into it. What does that mean? Y'all know that a third of the angels rebelled against God. God made these beautiful creatures called angels. He made different kinds of angels too. We don't know how many different kinds, but we know at least a few of them. And the biggest and most beautiful and best angel was a guy named Lucifer. And then he defected from the kingdom. To quote someone else, that's a big deal. And he carried a third of the angels, we think, with him. Revelation talks about him sweeping a third of the heavenly host with him. And they followed his lead. And you know what God did to them? He condemned them forever. They have no hope of ever being put back into the place they were. And the angels who didn't rebel sees these puny new creatures called humans... And the very first thing they did was rebel like the devil did. And God said, I'm going to go down there myself and save them. And the angels go, what? Uh, Lord, (laughs) you know, we're not rebelling, but have you lost your mind? (laughs) Now, I don't think they actually said that. But the Bible says they they wanted to look into it. Like, look at this. Look Look what the boss did. Those guys, they're locked away. They're going to hell for sure. But 
These puny humans, he's going to save them, and then he became one of them? Peter said, you better rejoice, man. You are in this side of the cross. You are in the last days. You are when God's spirit will pour out on all flesh. And you can know God in a very personal way. Not because you sacrificed a bunch of bulls and goats and lambs and sheep and doves. And brought grain offerings and observed holidays and holy days. But because you heard about Jesus who died in your place. And the grace of God came on you. To believe in that. And you said yes to God. Back there when he said that, that his power was preserving us. See you can't be saved and get away from God. Because he preserves our faith to the end. When you come to the end of your life. And you still have your faith. That's God's power preserving you to then. And we know people that kick against that. Rebel against that. But if you're truly saved. God will only put up with that so long. And he's either going to break you to repentance. Or he's going to kill you according to scripture. That's what it says in Proverbs 30, verse 1. He who's been often reproved, hardens his neck, will be cut off that without remedy. And so if you're here today and you say, well, I grew up in church. I prayed to receive the Lord at some point. You know, I said that prayer. Yeah, so are you a follower of Christ? Are you literally following him every day? Are you, are you coming to God and saying, Lord, what's today? What are we doing today? What is your bidding? What am I supposed to do today? Are you seeking after the will of God in your life? Peter is telling us, man, you ought to rejoice in this. You ought to rejoice in your trials. You ought to rejoice that those Old Testament, because that's all Peter had then. I mean, he's writing the New Testament right here in Peter. He said, man, we're reading this Old Testament stuff going, wow, we got to, and Peter really feels it because he got to be with Jesus. These guys, they didn't see Jesus. They didn't know Jesus, yet they believed in Jesus. Did you catch that when we, re- when we read it? That though you don't know him, you never knew him, now you know him by faith. In fact, when Thomas, on that first Sunday when he, he missed church, and the next Sunday, a week later, he was there. So we know he missed the first Sunday service. And he got to the second one. And, they, and they'd been telling him all week, man, we saw Jesus. He showed up. He goes, I ain't going to believe that until I put my finger in the wounds and my hand in the side. So the next Sunday, Jesus reappears in that upper room with him, and he showed up for church that day. He goes, hey, Tom, come poke your fingers in here. And Thomas fell, as a dead, you know, he fell before him and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, you believe because you see me? Blessed are those who never see and yet believe. That's you. That's me. And if you're here right now and you don't know that you're a follower of Christ, listen, if you know that, then the Holy Spirit's telling you that. And the Holy Spirit's telling you that he will receive you, that Christ will receive you, and he'll come in and live with you. Because you can't desire that or know that apart from the power of God. And secondly, you might be here and you're religious, but you've walked away from God One of two things is right. Either you never were saved or you're saved and you're in rebellion. You need to get right. So you figure that part out. And let's all come back to him and say, Lord, I need you right now. So I would tell you this week, if you are saved, live out that inheritance. Man, you got salvation. What does it matter you're suffering now? You're going to heaven. Live it out. You have salvation. Thank God. And he is present with you, saving you today. 
just like he did yesterday, just like he will tomorrow. And then share with your family in your trials. Because none of us can do this alone. I promise we cannot do it alone. We need fellowship. We need community. We need to know each other. And then lastly, be thankful, God, you're in the family of grace. That, those Old Testament prophets, they got to be in the family of grace because they trusted God and God counted them for righteousness. But the price to get into heaven hadn't been paid yet. But when Jesus died, he said, well, where were they? That's a whole long discussion. But they were in a special place, paradise. Jesus called it on the cross. And when Jesus died, he took them to heaven with him. So that's where we all get to go now. Paul said to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And the Lord's in heaven, so that's where we go. And so I, I just want you to rejoice that you don't have to come in with a, a lamb every week to be, have it slaughtered for you. That the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world was slaughtered one time for all. And you can be saved. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you are our Father. Not just one of us, but all of us who know you. And we share a, a, a like inheritance. We've all obtained salvation by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you. And just to let us know that it wasn't a pipe dream. You sent the Holy Spirit to live with us. To empower us to do what you've called on us to do. To be a family of God. A family together. And as Peter explains this to us, Lord, we realize what great grace and mercy we have. That even in our trials, you're doing something so glorious, it'll echo into eternity. And so we can be thankful for the difficult. We can be thankful. But Lord, I pray that we won't be a church that makes people feel like they got to do that alone. That no matter the, the struggle, no matter the suffering they're in, that indeed we will pull alongside and we will help them. We'll pray for them. We'll do whatever we can do. To help them endure the trial that you might have them in. Lord, forgive us when we've ever given anybody the impression that we don't love them. That the grace of God wasn't for them. Or that they had to go through their suffering alone. Lord, we know that's not true. So God, give us the grace to show Jesus not only with our words, but with our lives.